When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Uri here again. We have a very special guest, one of our contributors on our website, first-time guest, Matt Cahill. Matt, finally glad to have you on. You have some great content, and glad to hear your thoughts on here. Thanks a lot. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to talk to you, Matt. Um, We'll just jump right in with the Spurs game. That was a 119-100 victory for the Sixers. That's number six in a row now. Joel Embiid, once again, 30-point game, 31 in this one with 12 rebounds and seven assists. Um, a pretty good showcase on the other side for a potential future Sixer in DeJounte Murray. Um, 27 points and nine assists for him. But this is pretty much a wire-to-wire win for the Sixers. They were in control throughout. But to you first, Matt, what were some of your big takeaways? The biggest thing over this whole six-game winning streak is when Joel Embiid decides to be physical – I'm, I don't know how many guys in the league are better than him. I mean, you can talk about Jokic or anybody else you like, but when he decides that he's going to be physical, he's just dominant. When he settles for jumpers, that's when he kind of gets himself in trouble. But this whole stretch, he's just been pounding it inside and driving and attacking. And as long as he does that, the Sixers are going to be able to contend with anybody. Yeah, I, I certainly agree that Joel's physicality is a unique attribute, but I think we we haven't been giving Joel enough credit here recently, and I think it's time we do. I I posted an article today basically highlighting how Joel Embiid has put himself into the conversation as one of the best playmaking bigs in the NBA, power forward, centers, whatever. Among power forwards and centers, uh, there are only five players ahead of him, which is Draymond Green, Jokic, Giannis, Julius Randle, and Sabonis. And depending on how you want to use a bonus, he's naturally a center, but he's playing power forward. Joel and Joel's second best playmaking center among all of them right now. And he's averaging 4.3 assists. And he's, I think he has a career low in turnovers right now, 2.9 as well. Uh, he's fantastic. He's seeing the floor. He's playing like a guard. He is playing. Tobias Harris even said it after after the game. He's play, he's a guard in a big man's body, and he is playing like it. And we saw this game seven assists. That's that's hard to argue while still taking twenty three shots from the field, fifteen foul shots too. 
Honestly, if you just took Joel's name away from this, would you think this is Joel Embiid or James Harden? Like the the numbers, it's hard to tell, right? I mean, the only yeah. dead giveaway would be the amount of three pointers, but like, it's it's hard not to deny that Joel is Chris. I know you said in our last pod that he he's put himself into the name for MVP, probably top ten, but yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, I, I think this was always the next step for Joel in terms of him just becoming like a guy who has the ball in his hands the entire time. Um, you know, he's it, it's really hard to deny, as you said. Just he's an MVP candidate. He's probably not going to win this year, but that's he's going to be in that race pretty much every year that he's healthy. Um, one of the best players in the league. Like both of you said, it, it's he's just having a killer run. The Sixers are, have won six straight pretty much on his back. Um, it's impressive that a player as good as him continues to get better at the rate that he does. He just has new tools, it seems, every year, which is really rare for a player of his caliber. Um, we know that he's one of the hardest working guys there is, and he just deserves an immense amount of credit. Um, like this is the guy who was like, like couldn't even dribble a basketball freshman year of high school. So just mm-hmm. his improvement arc over the years has been absurd and yeah, he deserves all the credit in the world. I, I think, you know, this game was a really good Tobias game, which we haven't gotten a ton of mm-hmm. one of Matisse's better offensive games. Seth had 23, but it all comes down to Joel. Joel's the engine of this team. Joel's the reason Philadelphia is at all notable in the broader landscape of NBA basketball right now. And he just deserves all the credit in the world at this point. My, my only thought on that is, I mean, you can see that the game has slowed down for him in terms of how he's handling the double teams and the fact that he doesn't panic and he takes his time. He watches for guys to cut. He sees who's open in the corners. His decision-making is just so much better than it ever was in the past. But I also, I almost kind of wonder if any of the extra success he's having this year is because the system and the players around him fit better than they ever have in the past. He doesn't have anybody else in his way. People always used to make that comment that uh, Ben was kind of in his way when they were both down there down low. And it does make you kind of wonder if that was any part of it because this year without everybody down low and more space around the perimeter to pass to, He's having all this success. Uh, I was wondering about the system having any part of that. I mean, certainly. And Ben not being there does help him in some ways. Other ways it doesn't. I mean, more of the rebounding burden is on Joel. More of the playmaking burden is on Joel, which, I mean, Joel has stepped up the best he can. But obviously the Sixers are still dead last and rebounding are near the bottom. And a, a play pace of play and assist numbers are like I, – I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're middle of the – middle of the NBA right now. Um, but I, I, I get what you're saying, and I do tend to agree that I think without having that extra person clogging the paint all the time, because even like even though Matisse Thibel isn't an offensive you know threat from deep, he's still willing to let it, you know, fly and he can still he's still aggressive around the rim. Um and I mean Ben was aggressive around the rim for most of the time either, too, just you know, not during that Hawk series. Um what one player that I think we need to talk about here, and I will beat this drum until it happens, and even if it doesn't happen, I'll keep keep on beating this drum. Is Charlie Brown Jr. needs to get a two way contract? I'm not saying that he deserves a regular NBA roster spot. The Sixers don't have an expendable player right now, 
that I would say that deserve he deserves it more than they do. But I will say this: Miles Powell has not been playing up to par, but you could keep him because he helps point guard depth. Okay, fine. But Aaron Henry has not does not look like an NBA player, and I I would put Charlie Brown Jr. to that two ways. I think he can be an NBA player. If you see his G League stats, he's shooting over 40% from the three-point line and showing to be a really good two-way player in the G League. He could be a 3 and D player for the for the Sixers in the future. And he's a Philly native, which is always good to have on the team. I say, why not? Bring Charlie Brown Jr. And he only had three points in 12 minutes, but he had two steals and a block, three rebounds. He's 6'6", long athletic guy, can provide defense and rebounding on the perimeter, something the Sixers desperately need outside of Thibel. And he's a little bit taller, so there's that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you're being a little tough on Henry. Like, we really haven't seen much of him in the NBA yet. Look at his G League stats. I, I know, but he... I, I'm I mean, if you're board. struggling in the G League to score, then, like... Yeah, it's well, not just three point percentage either. It's his overall field goal percentage. Yeah, he he still was one of the best defenders in college basketball. I'm I'm willing to take a bet. Um, I, I mean Charlie Brown's been around the league for a couple years now. Um, so I I think Powell would be the more expendable two way contract just based on that. I, I maybe I'm being a bit foolish, but I'm still on the Henry train. But I I do agree. Like he looks like a legit player. He has been in Philly this year with the blue coats for a stretch, so I, I wouldn't mind it, but I, I'd drop Powell before I drop Henry. Plan your work and work your plan. For many athletes, saying such as this could be considered scripture. Permanent signposts lining the long road to success in sports. For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is until life happens. Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the podcast will share and analyze the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. Blindsided then dives in deeper, it gets clinical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them down. Blindsided is a podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. And now, back to the Sixer Sense. No, I, I get it. I don't know. Any thoughts about, about that, Matt, for you? Well, it's interesting because this year has kind of changed the way we, we see a lot of the players on the team at the end of the bench. Because most of the time, if I'm looking at the guys who are 13, 14, 15, I don't necessarily care. Because, I mean, like, if anybody jumps up and suddenly makes a career for themselves, I mean, I always root for that. But for the most part, we don't really get to know those guys because we don't see them. But this is the COVID year. So suddenly we have guys at the end of the bench who are playing significant roles. Guys are out sick and suddenly somebody jumps in and they get 25 minutes and we've never seen them before. So, to, I mean, to your point, we're all kind of evaluating the guys on the end of the bench with a little more scrutiny than we have in the past. So, you know, I, I agree with Chris. I mean, I was kind of a Henry guy, like, coming out of college. I, I loved his D. I thought he was tough. Uh, he played with an edge. 
to your point, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the defensive tenacity that everybody talks about. Like, nah. you, yeah. No, I agree with you. I haven't, and I do like Charlie Brown Jr., um, but it's one of those things where, you know, he's going to have to, you know, find the right team and get a chance, and I'm not sure the Sixers are it. I think if, it, it might be the best move for him to wind up on a, a kind of a, a one of those young up-and-coming But But the thing is, he was on those up-and-coming teams last two years in the Thunder and the um, Hawks the year before. I think he needs to be around more veterans so that he can get more established and okay. not have the pressure to play then. Guys, Henry's played 14 total NBA minutes. It's not like he's had a wide stretch of time to showcase. And Charlie Brown has only played 12 with the Sixers this season, and he looks immensely better. So now we're going to talk about Michelle Roberts putting her two cents into the Ben Simmons situation. Michelle Roberts is, of course, the uh, NBA Players Association president. I think she's going to be retiring soon or not continue her tenure. But in the meantime, she is still in charge of that as the um, president. And she recently you know, spoke out about the Ben Simmons situation, basically saying that both sides were favoring that the Sixers need to figure it out on their end and not have this continue. Matt, what is your thoughts on Robert's comments? Well, this is the, the second time this year, because she made comments back in October, too. And both times she, she kept using the reference of chicken. And I feel like she's mixing her metaphors because she, she wants to blame the Sixers. And she's kind of openly said it's the Sixers' fault. And, you know, they're not handling this with maturity and this and that. But anybody playing chicken, there's two people involved. It's two, two different groups refusing to move when you're playing chicken. And mm-hmm. so you can't say it's just the Sixers' fault if you're going to say it's a game of chicken. And mm-hmm. th- the big thing is it, it, she kind of, you know, represents the players. So every time she speaks, you know she's not taking the team side. Mm-hmm. And so from the player's perspective, of course, she's saying we want to get the player back out on the court. And the fans want that too, but it's a business. And well, a- maybe not Sixers fans, but. <laughs> well, not on our court, maybe. Um, but, we, I mean, everybody wants something to happen. I mean, we're all mm-hmm. kind of, you know, ready for – you know, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Either we move him or, you know, whatever the next step is going to be. Um, but the Sixers just can't give him away for nothing. It's a business. And no matter what she says or what anybody in the media says, the Sixers have to do their due diligence. They have to wait and find a deal that's genuinely going to make this team better. And Michelle Roberts or anybody else saying the Sixers have to grow up and the Sixers have to do that, it's not going to change what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Chris? Yeah, yeah I mean, I... I I tend to agree. Like you have to look at it from both sides, whether you're, you know, going to take the player empowerment standpoint or not. The the Sixers don't care. Like the Sixers are going to operate in their best interest, regardless of what you think. So, um, like clearly, Daryl Morey has a very high opinion of Ben Simmons' trade value, and the Sixers can say they want him back all they want. It's very clearly not going to happen. So we have reached a point where sort of does feel like both sides are just posturing dragging it out i i kind of agree with the game of chicken from that perspective because you know they're it but it's it's going to go on as long as the sixers want it to go on basically that's where we're at we're gonna it's gonna go on until maury decides he wants to make a trade um, or simmons decides that he wants to play yeah which again isn't gonna happen so like it we can debate 
on what Maury wants to do, but we don't really know what Maury wants to do. It seems from all the reporting that's been made that there are several viable offers on the table, but maybe Maury wants to wait for Bradley Beal. Maybe Maury wants to wait for James Harden, Dame Lillard, whoever. And if that's the case, we're probably not going to get a trade at the trade deadline. If that's not the case, then, you know, welcome home Tyrese Halliburton. But, um, yeah, I, at this point, I, I really try not to get too dragged into the Simmons discourse because it can just be kind of draining. And it's we've just gone over and over every point, you know, into oblivion at this point. So I, I, I didn't really, like, care about whatever comments she made. But, you know. I'm ready for it to end just like we all are. And that's pretty much where I'm at. Amen. Yeah. I mean, certainly I think we can all agree on that, but I got two more questions. One of them's on the agenda. One of them's not. Let me do the one on the agenda first here, Matt, which side do you think needs a deal to be done more quickly? The Sixers or Ben? I think in terms of needs, I think if you're saying needs, it's Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, Simmons is sitting at home just losing money. He's already lost more than $10 million. And when the Sixers have everybody, when everybody's healthy and they have the bench guys and they're all there, they've actually looked pretty darn good this year. I mean, they've been top four this year in the East when everybody's healthy and they'll have all their other guys in place. So, um, I don't know. I don't know that they're ready to contend for the championship this year in terms of, you know, actually going for it this year, but in terms of who needs it done more, I would say Simmons. In terms of who wants it done, I really hope it's the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. That I mean, I kind of get hung up on the word need because clearly Ben is willing to let this go on. Like, financially, I'm sure he's okay. You know, he's not going to be out of money anytime soon. So I should that, note, I think he's lost close to $6 million or over $6 million now. I think he's lost like $10 million, right? But yeah, I'm not like, sure. If it really was like the end all be all for him, he'd be playing right now and he's not. So it like you could say Ben needs it most because of money, but beyond that, I mean Philly's the team that has a year of Joel Meade's prime on the on the line here. So I mean, I don't know if a trade makes them championship contenders. I don't know if whatever they get back puts them on the level of Brooklyn or Milwaukee or Miami or whatever, but or Chicago, who's the number one seed right now. But it does kind of feel like the Sixers, if they want to maximize their chance at a title, would be wise to move Simmons for a borderline all-star, multiple really good players and picks that they can use in future. Like That would certainly move them closer on paper. I I do agree with you, Matt. I don't think they're going to really contend for a championship this year. As good as Joel is, and Joel basically gives you a chance in any game, I I, the, I don't think he has quite enough help, especially with how Tobias has been playing this year. So I, I kind of think that, I don't know. I mean, Simmons is clearly willing to lose money. So that that's really not an issue for him as much as we maybe thought it was early in the season. So I don't know. I don't, I, I kind of feels like the Sixers need something to happen, but if you're Daryl Morey, you clearly don't think that by now. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you guys in terms of Ben probably needs it more in terms of financial um, loss. But, you know, I'll say neither one of them needs it more. The fans need it the most, to be honest. The fans need it the most. 
Um, we just need to move on from this because we're sick and tired of talking about it. I think the only other argument here, or I don't know if it's an argument necessarily, but at least the argument in Maury's favor with where he seems to be going with this is, do you have a better chance of winning a championship if you wait the rest of the year and potentially still have a shot at Lillard or Beal or Harden or whoever becomes available next? Or do you have, you know, you get two, three years of Harden versus four years of Halliburton and Harrison Barnes. Like, I, I think that's kind of the game the Sixers are playing. Like, what really maximizes your championship window with Embiid? Does this mm-hmm. season really matter that much if you can get a super, superstar level player down the road for Ben? Mm-hmm. But none of those things are certain. A lot of whatever you get back for Ben can be used to get a really good player down the line. The Sixers certainly wouldn't be putting that much of a dent in their like trade repertoire. So mm-hmm. I feel like they should probably do whatever they can at the deadline, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So let's give our thoughts now on some interesting Sixers stats. Um, the first one here that I have is the Sixers have one of the best road records in the East this season at 14 and eight. They're eight and eight at home. Besides what that says about their strength of schedule up to this point, Matt, what do we make of these two records compared to seasons past? I actually am not as down on the home side of it. Um, I still think that it's a great home court advantage. I think they play really well at home. I think a lot of it is just the product of the year they've had with how many people they've had out with injuries and COVID and things like that. Um, I think it's more an indicator of the fact that they've gotten a little more mentally tough on the road. Like I'm more seeing the road side as a positive than I am the home side as a negative. Um, the biggest thing to me, honestly, is that I think they win three out of every four when Joel B plays. And that's all I care about, no matter where it is. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with what you said. I, I think that road record is really a positive because that's been one of Philadelphia's just outright biggest weaknesses for a while during the Embiid era. So any positive trend on that side of the schedule is is a really big plus. Um, I, I have no qualms with Philly's home court like as soon as the playoffs come I, I doubt there will be many crowds more into it than the Sixer fans so I'm not worried about that I have no reason to expect them to continue struggling at home so the road record is easily the big positive here I agree yeah I'm not I'm not worried about the road record I mean the home record the road record is fantastic it's showing mental toughness and think about it like this Good portion of those uh, road games was on that West Coast swing. The Sixers only have to do that once. The rest of these home road games, or most of these road games moving forward, are going to be in the East. Not nearly as far of a drive. Um, I think they already played Utah and Denver. Did they play Denver on the road? Yes, they did. They did play Denver on the road this season. So those two altitude games... Already done. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they split those? Didn't they win one of those? Was it the Utah game or was it the, the Denver game? Regardless, it's it's a good it's a good starting point for the road. And they played a lot more road games. And like uh, Matt said, I, I do suspect that a lot of that home loss has to do with the, with the fact that there was COVID and injuries to deal with. And... You know, that first, you know, that that first stretch without Joel, I mean, 
we'll get into it in a second here with with Joel. They're pretty good without him. I mean, it, you know, you would suspect the team would struggle, and they did. So I'm not really worried about it. Yeah. And for the second stat, Matt pretty much already mentioned it from Keith Pompey. Hashtag, did you know, Flo, the Sixers are 11-2 and this season when Embiid scores 30 or more points. Um, Embiid has been scoring 30 or more quite a lot lately. Does this record mean a lot to you um, or not, Matt? My, my three out of four, I think, was just when Embiid plays, let alone when he scores. Um, the 30 or more, it says two, two things to me. It depends on how he is scoring again every now and again. And he doesn't do it as, as much as he used to every now and again, he just drifts outside and stays there. Um, and that's when, you know, I'm, I'm less impressed if he's just jacking up 20 footers. Um, but he has not been doing that. He's been, you know, playing inside, driving inside, and they've been playing more inside out. And I feel like that's why the record is what it is. Cause when they play inside out, like play through Joel, everything really kind of works like all the cutters work all the all the snipers work all the all the the perimeter shooters work so when when they have all the right guys in place when they're healthy and they're able to go through joel inside out i think we're a pretty hard team to beat i think i i agree with matt on that and i think that it makes i mean it makes sense usually when i mean unless you're bradley beal unless you score over 30 your team's usually does pretty good no, no, you know, you know, acts against Bradley Beal, but it is what it is. Joel Embiid, he can dominate a game. He is an old school superstar, and the fact that if he takes over a game, his team's probably going to win. Not only is he a great, you know, three quarter, first three quarters player, he's also a finisher, and you can get a lot of points in that fourth quarter, and that's what he does. He makes clutch shots. He carries the team in the fourth quarter. Um. And I think it's safe to say that he's easily now the Sixers' most clutch player and arguably a top 10 clutch player in the NBA right now. That's something that going into this season, everybody said they don't have a closer. You know, we haven't had a closer since Jimmy Butler. No closer. What are they going to do? We're in trouble. And I think he is either first or second in the league in clutch possessions. I think he's actually first now that you mention it. Yeah, he's been killing people down the stretch. It's been terrific. So... It's funny, like, he's become the closer that they needed since Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I agree with what both of you said. Um, I, I Really, it just comes down to the fact that Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the NBA. He's really good, and when he has his best games, the Sixers tend to win. Um, this has been a season where he hasn't had quite as much help as we are accustomed to. Tobias is having a down year. He's absent his second-best player. So the Sixers really need a lot out of Joel most nights. He's really the one carrying water for this team. So when he's scoring a lot, it makes sense that that's when they're at their best. Um, they, they've really needed every every one of those 30-plus points in these wins, frankly. So, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. That It seems like a pretty simple takeaway. All right, guys, I'm going to step in here and present to you some options. We've come to a point in the season where even though it's been up and down and all these crazy roster lineups, uh, I think we can all look at the team and and assess in terms of what's needed and make some priorities. Uh, So I'm going to give you some choices. We'll start with some comparisons, and then you guys have to think about what you think is more important based upon what I present to you. And Matt, we'll come your way first. 
with some bench players, okay, based upon what we know about these two players, what is more important this season? Shake Milton's bench scoring or Andre Drummond's bench rebounding? Oof. Um, Ooh. Both, both are huge. That, that's a tough one. Um, they, ha- they have to have somebody uh, working with the bench. It's why they've been trying to mix in Tobias Harris and things here and there with that bench because the bench struggles to score. Um, but I'm going to say Andre Drummond because nobody on this team is rebounding besides him and Embiid. Like, they have to have more guys rebounding. This team is is too big and too talented to get crushed on the glass every night like we have been. So I'm going to say Andre Drummond's bench rebounding and just his presence in general, really. You, I would certainly say that Drummond, because like you said, he, him and Embiid are the legitly the only two rebounders on the team. I mean, Tobias Harris can average, like, what, seven or eight rebounds, but, like, in actuality... If your fourth best rebounder is either um, Matisse, Th- not Matisse, Matisse Thibel or uh, Tyrese Maxey, you're in trouble. Like it the Sixers, are... <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, hang on. It now you're be... making me. Now you're making me check stats here. No, it's, I, I feel like Ma- it might be Maxey, which is crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, he he pulls them down. I I, I don't trust George's Niang is not a rebounder. No. I like Niang, but he's always 30 feet away from the basket, so he's not going to board. Well, and he's just not – I mean, he you would think because of his, like, you know, minivan size. Yes, I was right. Tyrese Maxey is the fourth leading rebounder at 3.5 rebounds per game. Wow, I'm not happy that I was ha- correct about that, though. Now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Goes, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to agree with both of you for that reason. Um, I – it seems a bit weird to say that the backup center is more important than the backup point guard for this team and how it's built. But Drummond has just done like broadly speaking, been the far more important player this year. I, he's still really good. And the Sixers have clearly benefited from his presence in every respect. But like you said, they just need rebounding. Um, and his presence on defense, rebounding included has been really important in keeping the second unit together when Joel sits. So yeah, like you said, shake, Hasn't even been like their best backup point guard for stretches this year, depending on how you value Furkan in that role. So he, he's certainly more replaceable or more you, – you can better mask his absence than with Truman. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say the Sixers don't have other good backup centers because both Paul Reed and Charles Bassey have looked more than fine as like the third stringers. But I, I think Truman's been really outstanding this year for a long, long, long stretches of the season. So I'd, I'd go with him. Drummond's averaging not is playing 19 minutes a game and is averaging nine rebounds a game. That's awesome. That that that's unheard of. Drummond um, is like legitimately the best individual rebounder in the game of basketball. Like that's just what he is. So, but question is, if you compare him to like Wilt, Bill Russell, Rodman, where does he stand? That's that's what I want to see. I I would like to see somebody do comparison on that. If anybody wants to write on that. Is that like um, a rebounds per minute question? I mean, you could do that. Um, you, you could probably Russell. You can't. You can't go. You yeah, can't go I'm not gonna like put him on the same level as well. Okay, yeah, but 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 you could do it. Like maybe. I mean, to be fair, those guys were just so much taller than everybody else. It was unrealistic what type of rebounding numbers they would have. But I would say this: you have guys that would have like 47 rebounds in a game back in the day. Actually, the the record is 54, which belongs to Wilt, but Bill. Bill Russell had 53. I, I know this because I did my thesis on Bill Russell. 
All right, Matt, let's get to these priorities. And, you know, a lot of these, it's like, oh, both of them need to be as equally important, but we have to make a decision. Matt, what's more important this season? Tyrese Maxey's improvement as a floor leader or Matisse Thibel's three-point shot? This was the one question I saw on the agenda, and this was the one that, that, that killed me a little bit. I had a hard time with this one. Um, it, it comes down to this season. I mean, overall for the Sixers, for for long term, Matisse Thibel's three point shot has to happen because he's going to be a stud if he can actually score some points in addition to that defense. But for this year, it absolutely is Tyrese Maxey's improvement as a floor leader because they haven't had a point guard. They really would have been in trouble if he had not emerged and grown up as much as he has. Without Maxey and what he's done this year, I don't even know where they would be as great as Joel has been. So I'm going to say Tyrese Maxey's improvement as a floor leader. I, I'm going to agree for everything that you just said. I mean, Maxey, it's kind of hard to quantify how much he's improved in just one season. He's acting like a five-year vet, honestly, in, in some ways. The playmaking is, is still needing work, and that's why this question is there. But, like... He's a low turnover, high efficient scorer who's learning how to play off the ball with one of the most ball dominant players, and a and the that ball dominant player is probably his weakest area is the one area that Maxi would need a big man to be able to play at most, which is the pick and roll. Yet he's still finding ways to not only be efficient, but actually starting to be able to sh- play near or at an all star level. Yeah. I think the only point I disagree on is with you, Matt, where you said you had trouble with this one. Like for me, it's pretty clearly Maxi's um, improvement as a floor leader. Like I, I, I like Thibault as much as the next guy, but Maxi's trajectory as a player is just so much higher in my opinion. Like Thibault, if he can get his three point shot down, like he'll be a starting caliber wing and he'll maybe be in the defensive player of the year conversation. But Maxi is online to be like an all-star point guard and, if there's any position more valuable in the league than like a really good floor general at an all-star level, you'd be hard pressed to point it out to me. Like I, I you know, all-star wing. like a superstar, superstar wing. Like yeah. if Maxi can be a really high level floor general and he's not quite there yet, but if he can get there, then yeah, like him and a bead, if they can figure out that chemistry, I, I think that moves the Sixers much closer to real title contention. I, I think that pairing specifically is going to be really important long-term. So, um, yeah, I mean, Max is just in a whole different, you know, league, in my opinion. And there's no shot to Thibel, who's who's certainly grown in certain areas this season. But um, Max is the more important player, and he's going to be for the remainder of his tenure in Philly, if I had to put money on it. Here's the next priority challenge for you. What's more important this season? Chemistry between Embiid and Maxi, or chemistry between Curry and Embiid? Now, see, this one was easier for me. It's definitely Embiid and Maxi. Because if you have a good big man and a good point guard in lockstep, and they're, you know, they both you know, are able to know what the other one's going to do without having to think about it, they can just flow and play, that's the best recipe for success for any team. And so as much as I love all the, you know, the dribble handoffs and all the, you know, the JJ Redick stuff between Curry and Embiid, um, the the real big thing is getting Embiid and Maxi on the same page. Because if the two of them can, you know, have more success working together, know what the other one is thinking and doing, 
then they run like pick and rolls, pick and pops. That would be just about unstoppable. Yeah, I'm going to say Maxi as well. Um, Maxi and Embiid. I like Curry and Embiid, but I still don't think they'll ever have the same level as chemistry as uh, JJ and Embiid did. Um, I And like you said, the point guard man dynamic is very important in today's game. And, uh, you know, I don't see why not. And, like, I don't know. I just, if Joel Embiid's willing to run a little bit more pick and roll and Maxie's willing to be able to play a little bit more off ball, which we saw in, like, what was that game against? Who was that game against? It was against uh, the Nets. The Nets. Mm -hmm. Then, like I said, nobody in the playoffs would want to, none of the top teams in the East would want to see the Sixers. Like, Steph, Seth is also a little bit more inconsistent than than Tyrese too. I, I would say. I don't know about that. I saw a stat on well, Curry that he's got like he's shooting like some crazy like fifty eight percent better than his brother. But like but here range. here's the thing though, he might be a better percentage shooter than Maxi. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is in terms of having impactful games. Well. I, I would disagree with that. Curry's had plenty of impactful games. I'm season. not saying that he hasn't, but what I'm saying is is that Curry definitely goes through spells where he only has like maybe 10, 11 points per game for like a three to four game stretch. Yeah, and so does Tyrese. But I, anyways, hmm. um, I think I may be higher on the Curry and B. Do- like for me, it's like th- that's already a given. Like they're, chemi- they're basically – telepathic between each other at this point like there's really no way up they're at the top as far as that specific duo and their chemistry goes i think it has certainly approached or reached the jj level like i they're they're dominant together that's one of the most dynamic two-man games in the league so as far as reaching the Sixers ceiling there's a lot of room for improvement with maxi and joel and if they can get better chemistry down we've seen it in flashes before maxi went back into health and safety protocols, then like that is definitely where the Sixers have room to grow. I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement from both players. At the end of the day, it'll be Maxi who obviously has to learn to do more off the ball because Joel is someone who needs the ball in his hands and deserves the ball in his hands. But yeah, like, like Curry and Embiid is a given. There's really not much more to do with that pairing. So I, I'd agree. I think it's Maxi and Embiid. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I would agree with you, Chris, but let's move on. Last priority comparison, Matt, what is more important this season, Joel Embiid's consistent play or a Ben Simmons deal getting done? Joel Embiid's consistent play. <laughs> I don't have – I feel like Ooh. we've we have kind of like danced around this one a lot. I feel like if they had to go the whole rest of the year uh, without getting a Ben Simmons deal done, I think they could do it. Um they're probably going to be in a better position to contend if they're able to get in a significant other starter, a DeJounte Murray, a Tyrese Halliburton, somebody who might be a difference maker. Um, but in terms of how well they can play for the rest of the year, I think they could finish uh, top three or four uh, without Ben Simmons. I feel like they could win a round or two without Ben Simmons. So I'm going to say Joel Embiid's consistent play. Mm. That's a tough one be honest with you I, I this is the one that i struggled with the most and you look at it like this this ceiling let's say maxi and joel do maximize their potential this season both playing at an all-star level you're still probably looking at a second round exit 
but you add a third star to that and have, you know, Harris become like the fourth option on the team. Um, then you could, you know, even if it's, I, I don't, the tricky thing is like, if you get a Ben deal done, who do you get back? That, that, that what makes this thing so subjective. Um, so for the lot, for the lack of clarity, I will go with Joel's consistent play. Cause Joel, if he's playing at this level, they can be anybody on any given night. It's I, I'm only saying that because I don't know what you get back in a Ben deal if you do it this season. Is it a Bradley Beal? Oh, I would hope so, but probably not. It's probably going to be more along the lines like, like a Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, maybe a three-team trade that involves Sabonis and maybe Shaquille just Alexander, hopefully Brandon Ingram, but probably not. I, I don't know. I just that's and that's why I'm going with Joel's consistency. Just because the other one, I just there's not enough information there to make me help me make an informed decision. Yeah, it's kind of boring for us to agree on everything, but um, I'm gonna go with him B too. Like as far as the Ben deal goes, you're like that's at most to maximize Embiid's consistent play to elevate the team around Embiid. But the end all be all for Philly. If they're going to win a championship, if they're going to go far into the playoffs, it starts and ends with Embiid, the top 5, 8, 10, whatever NBA player. Like, he is the lifeblood of this team. So, it 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 has to be Joel's play. He's been really consistent for two years now. I'm not worried about him being inconsistent. But his sustained dominance is what's going to carry Philly the furthest. So his you health. Make a bin his trade. health, yeah. Yeah, so a bin trade might help you survive when Joel misses a game or two, a Ben trade might make the team around Joel better, but it still all comes down to Joel. So that's that would be my pick. All right. So there's actually two social media questions that we're going to cover. The first one, we'll go with the one that was posted today. And as of right now, there's 380 votes. Today's question was, which team has more attractive trade packages in exchange for Ben Simmons? The options were the Cleveland Cavaliers, Sacramento Kings, Detroit Pistons and the Atlanta Hawks. Only 4% of people who voted said they like what the Pistons have to, have to offer. 13% said Cavs. 15% said Atlanta. 68% said the Sacramento Kings. So, Matt, what, do you agree with the overwhelming majority or do you want to go with another team? We have a knowledgeable fan base. It's the Kings. I mean, like for me, it's not even close. So, absolutely, I would say the Kings. Yeah, the Kings, because I don't see Cleveland giving up Darius Garland. And if Garland's not on the table, then everybody else's packages are subpar, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, as long as we're being realistic, you know, no Garland, you're not getting Trey Young. So you take the obvious ones off the table, and you're left with Fox and stuff, or Halliburton and stuff from Sacramento as the best possible outcomes here. I agree that that would be better than what the other teams can offer. Um, So, yeah. I, I, I think it's Sacramento. All right. And the other question, which was posted on the sixth last week, is both of the Kings point guards are available according to rumors. Who would you like to have as a centerpiece in a trade for Ben Simmons? The options were De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. And the majority of people said Tyrese Halliburton, 64%, 36% De'Aaron Fox. Matt, do you agree? 
I do. It surprises me a little bit. And again, I think it speaks to the fact that Philly fans know what they're talking about. Um, I really, because he's more of a name, would have thought more people would have said De'Aaron Fox. But um, I, I think in terms of, of fit and what the, he brings to the table as a defender, as a, a really in-control basketball player, as a shooter, I think Halliburton would just be a terrific fit here. And a lot of people kind of forget. I know he's been saying, banging the drum, saying he wants an all-star, he needs an all-star, he needs an all-star. But Maury's best trade ever was when he got Harden and from OKC. And at that point, Harden was coming off the bench. He was their sixth man. He wasn't necessarily the superstar that he grew into when he got him. And I feel like Halliburton could have that kind of traje- trajectory. Not that he's going to be an MVP, but that he could certainly take off and become a multi-time all-star in the right situation. So, yeah, Halliburton. Yeah, it's Halliburton. Um, I've already written about, the. I mean, what a potential trade for Halliburton would look like. I, I tend to agree. I will say this about the James Harden comparison. Everybody knew James Harden would probably be an all-star if he wasn't on that OKC bench. Um, the reason why he was on is just there wasn't enough ball for the three of them at the time because NBA offenses hadn't caught up to where they are now. But, yeah, I think, yeah, Halliburton has a chance to really grow. We saw flashes over this season what he would look like without Fox in the lineup. And having two Tyree, uh, what did Harrison Grimes say? He said Tyree squared would be a fun backcourt to have. Um, you could definitely, I could definitely be see them both being able to play off each other. Maxie's learning to play off the ball. Halliburton already knows how to play off the ball. They're both improving as shooters. I, I, I would be all for it. Yeah. Again, we're just in lockstep tonight. I'm going to agree. I'm a Halliburton guy. I, I think maybe the, general populace has gone a little too far in like the deer and fox doubt like fox is still a really good player and i think he would make a lot of teams better he has struggled this season there's no doubt he is on my fantasy team i've been witness firsthand every night to his struggles but fox is a really good player i I don't think it would be a worst case scenario to get fox back even with the maxi overlap but halliburton is already a good defender he's six five six six so he makes more sense just in the broader context of philly's current lineup defensively he's a really elite like deep ball shooter and he's one of the smartest young players in the nba so i i'd take halliburton as well a package built around halliburton but fox is really good i, I don't think people should be as anti-Fox as maybe they currently are. but well, the, the, the issue is, is that Fox isn't a floor spacer, and the Sixers and the fans don't shouldn't want to have another non-floor spacer. Yeah, and no, like, I, I've, I've certainly been banging that drum, too. Like, I get it, but just broadly speaking, outside of the Sixers' context, Fox is really good, and he seems to be getting on the right track. He's had a really good couple of weeks here, but... Um, yeah, I think Halliburton's the guy Philly would want in that situation. We'll see if that's enough to tempt Daryl Morey. But even from like Kyle Newbeck's reporting, it does seem like Philly is in agreement with us. It seems like Halliburton would be the guy um, if Philly was to make that trade. All right, um, Matt, thanks again for joining us. If you want to tell our followers where they can follow you on social media and stuff, uh, take it away. <laughs> I actually am not a social media guy. I need to spread spread word. I need to get on Twitter and I need to be everywhere to get my name out there more so people can read more of my stories. But for right now, I am not a social media guy. I appreciate the heads up and I definitely am grateful to you guys for having me on. All right. Yeah, no, I that's probably the way to go, frankly. Um, thanks for coming <laughs> on. 
we all recommend that you go read Matt's work over at the site. He's, he's put some great stuff out there. Um, Matt Cahill again, just look him up um, on the website. And to all our listeners, as always, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, follow along if you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, all that stuff. You can also listen and read us at our website, thesixersense.com, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sixersense. So until next time, later in the week, everyone have a good week. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.